God's good, isn't he? Amen. Hey, thanks for singing with us. Go and have a seat. All right. It's good to be with you this morning. How are we doing? Enjoying the uh, weather outside last couple days? All right. Um, so we've got a Peru team uh, in Peru right now. Today's day one. 19 people from our church are in Peru on a mission trip. So uh, before we get too far into today's sermon uh, or any farther into our service, I just wanted to take a minute and pray for them. Is that all right? So let's, let's pray for them together. Lord, in Jesus' name, we just uh, ask that you would protect our team, our church family in Peru. Uh, we pray that today would be a fruitful day of ministry. And uh, Lord, that you would uh, just work in and through our team there. We pray for all the details, anything that anyone is feeling or, or, or anything. Lord, we just pray that you would take care of all that, uh, nerves and fears and anxiety and, and things not, you know, details not happening like you want them to happen. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, wipe that all away and that you would help them to minister your gospel uh, with courage uh, and with truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, well, I am Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks, and it's good to see you again on Sunday morning. This is the place to be on Sunday mornings, right? Um, first service is always packed. You guys need to do a little more work, all right? You need to get the neighbors here. It's all right. And I don't know why. Like, if I was choosing, I'd sleep in, all right? So I'm with you guys, uh, but, and your neighbors are probably with you guys, so talk to them, all right? Get up here, and uh, it's, it's good. So, um, but this is the place to be, and I hope you'll be intentional about being um, here throughout the summer, making Christ and his church uh, primary in your family's lives over uh, sports and trips to the cabin or sleeping in, uh, sleeping in more than you already slept in today. Um, and, and I hate to break it to you, but can I just be honest with you for a second? Maybe. I got some maybes. Listen, Junior is not making it to the major leagues. I hate to break that to you. I know. It's going to make some dads mad, but Junior just ain't making it. I can guarantee that. I'm kidding. Kind of. He, he's not going to make it. Um, I'm pretty certain about that. You know what else I'm certain about? Little Junior is watching you. He takes his cues from you. He's learning what's important, not by what you say, but what you do. And the stakes are high, unbelievably high, as high as they could possibly be. Heaven and hell hang in the balance. Con constantly intentionally and even verbally choosing to make missing church a rare exception speaks volumes to those you are tasked with presenting to God at the end of this thing, presenting to Christ without blemish. You're supposed to present your, your wife and your kids, your spouse and your kids up to God in the end of this whole thing. And I believe that it's the number one most effective thing you can do to not lose your way, to just be here every week with your kids. Um, I believe that it'll help you. So I hope you make it a priority even in the summer that you'll encourage others to do the same. And don't be mad at me, all right, because I said Junior's not going to make it, okay? Don't be mad. I know I already made some, some dads ticked off, all right? It's a, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not, but maybe I am, all right? Maybe I am. <laughs> I'm just trying to get, you, um, to, to, to get you to see the end result uh, here and not teach your kids uh, to, to toil for things and center their life around things that in the end just don't matter at all, right? That's my only challenge. So let's get into today's message, though. We are starting a new series today called Small Fry. Everybody say Small Fry. Small Fry. 
Small fry is something we call people who are what? Small, right? Yeah, we, you could say it, small. And uh, it can kind of be a joking, cute thing like with a kid, like, oh, you're just a small fry, right? Um, you got little onesies that say small fry. You can go get them and bring, you know, get your kids dressed in those for next week to support the series. Everybody's going to run out and do that, right? All right, just making sure. Um, so sometimes we'll be doing something, uh, my son and I, my son who's three, uh, and I, his name's Joshua, we'll be playing or, or something, and he'll just get that look. He'll give me this look. And we'll be playing, I'll be reading, reading a story, or he'll be just off in Joshua land playing with toys uh, in his imagination. And then all of a sudden he just looks at me, and he gives me this look like, I think I can take you. <laughs> right? How many of you have sons? You've seen this look? I think today is the day that I overthrow the king. I think today is the day that I get the suppressor off my back, right? Today's the day that I take on the alpha. He just gets this look and then he just comes at me, all right? He says something like, I'm gonna fight you. He's three, okay? I'm gonna fight you. And I say something like, I wouldn't if I were you. Today's not your day. You're just a small fry, right? You're just a little guy. You're, you're not big enough to take the king. You can't do it yet. But he doesn't listen, and so I end up pile-driving him <laughs> into the concrete. No, I'm just kidding, into a, something softer than that. Um, but that's in a play situation, but there are serious times where we're at dinner or whatever, and he, he wants to challenge the king, right? He wants to challenge the authority. He wants to challenge the alpha. And so he's, he's, he chooses to yell or he chooses whatever, to raise his voice or to say something he shouldn't say. And, and, I, and I, sometimes I say, hey, I... Um, Hey, you're getting a little too big for your what? Britches. Because britches is something that we call pants if you're parents, right? You don't call britches, you don't call pants britches in other places, but if you're parents, you call them britches, right? Like I don't walk up to my friend guy and say, oh, I like your britches today. He's like, those are some sweet britches you're wearing. Maybe I should. And then everybody who's like not a parent would walk by and be like, britches, what is that? It's pants, all right? It's just pants. You learn that when you have a kid, you call them britches. It's just what you do. Yeah. But then when this kid, Joshua, or your son, gets bigger, and he's now 16, now the whole alpha dog thing, it's just an illusion, right? It's just psychology. You're just playing games with his, with his mind. Like, because now he's not a small fry anymore, and it hurts you to stand up out, out of a chair, right? Like, your knee hurts, your back hurts, your face hurts. And you're just like, I hurt all over, but I'm still the alpha dog, right? So I got to play these psychological games. But this 16-year-old son, he doesn't, he doesn't, he hasn't won yet. He wasn't challenged you and won yet. And so he still thinks he's a small fry. He still thinks he can't handle it until... Finally, he beats you that first time in, in basketball, right? Some of you have already been through this humiliating moment when your son beats you in basketball. I've already been through it. He's three. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kidding. Uh, but he beats you, and you, you, the, just the psychological games keep going. You're just like, <gasps> my knee's jacked up. That one didn't count. Don't go. Okay, go ahead and gloat. What's the score? What's the record? 856 to 1? You beat me one time, I beat you 856 times your whole life. I'll beat you next time too. It means nothing, right? The psychological games just keep going. He's not, he's not a small fry anymore. Sometimes it's, it's easy to look at size and, and under, underestimate strength, power, or importance, just like uh, this, this idea. 
And we think, it, we think it won't be enough, small fry, it won't be enough. That's why the answer every time, 100% of the time, to would you like to supersize the fries is yes, right? You guys aren't with me on that? Okay, whatever. <laughs> yes, I want the bigger fry, of course I do, because we think it's not going to be enough, it's small. More is better, and we do the same thing with the books of the Bible. We emphasize some, and we overlook others. Like, we look at the shorter books as not as important. A lot of people can find Isaiah in the Bible, but not a lot can find Amos or Haggai. A lot of people can read, read Mark on a regular basis or know some scriptures from John and Romans and maybe even Galatians, but we struggle to locate Philemon or Second John. It's right after First John, by the way. So in this series, we're going verse by verse uh, through the, the, more, the four New Testament books that have been overlooked, uh, the small fries of the New Testament. Jude, Philemon, 2 John, and 3 John. Because here's the thing. All of the Bible is the Bible, right? All of the Bible is the Bible, not just the popular stuff or the easy-to-read stuff or the agreeable stuff or the stuff you've memorized, but all of it is the Bible. All of it is God's Word. Second Timothy says that it's God-breathed. Hebrews 4 says it's alive and it's active, all of it. Even Jude, even Third John. All of the Bible is the Bible. And so I expect this series to be life-transforming. I expect it to be awesome. I expect it to challenge you because any series that we go verse by verse through a book of the Bible is going to do that, but especially series that we spend time in parts of the Bible that maybe you aren't as familiar with. And so the, the first small fry we're going to study is the book of Jude. So if you have your Bible, grab it, head over to Jude. Um, it's at the back right before the book of Revelation. Uh, so uh, there you don't have to be embarrassed looking for it, all right? Like, oh, where is Jude? All right, it's at the back. Um, it's only one page, so you might skip over it. Uh, but we're going to spend uh, four or five weeks, I mean, on, on this book of Jude. And here's how this series will happen. We're going to uh, kind of zero in on the main idea of each book and let that guide us in our study of it. And so for Jude, it's fight for faith, fight for faith. And then we're going to get in Philemon, and we're going to talk about forgive with love. And then I'll end with 2nd and 3rd John, and we'll talk about fellowship in truth. So fight, forgive, fellowship, fries. This series is just full of F words. First service thought that was hilarious, you guys. I'm just saying, you can take that however you want to, but this series is full of F words, and maybe that's a way you can invite your friends to be a part of it. I don't know. You got to check out my, my church. It's... F words everywhere. Okay, um, just a thought. Maybe it'll work. Let's get into Jude. Uh, like many New Testament books, Jude is a letter. Um, who wrote it? Not a trick question. Jude, right? Jude wrote it. Who wrote Titus? It was the Apostle Paul. I just wanted to mess you up. Just to be confusing, it's not always the name on the book, but this time it is. So Jude wrote Jude. Um, 
This is written by Jude. And at this time, when he wrote it, uh, the mail system is used basically uh, by people who are high up in government or have a lot of money. And so you don't really use the mail system a lot if you're a common person. If you're a common person and you want to send a letter to someone else at this time, you write the letter and then you find someone who's going the same place that you need to send the letter. And you just ask them, this traveler, to carry this letter for you. And it was a long, big, drawn-out ordeal, right? Because you had to walk. These people had to walk miles and miles and miles to get this letter where it was going. And so when you got a letter, it was a huge thing because you didn't get very many letters. And maybe it's the same today with email and Facebook and and texting. If you get a handwritten letter, that's kind of a big deal, right? Um, When you get it out of the the mailbox and it's got your name written on the outside of the envelope, it's like, oh, whoa, this is cool. Who wrote me this, right? Who wrote me? Who took the time to write a, a letter out to me? Well, in this instance, this is sent, the Jew, the Jude is sending this letter to a group of Christians. So imagine not just one person who's excitedly opening this letter to read it, but a group of Christians who are excited. What did Jude write? What is so important that he would go through the trouble of writing it down, finding someone to walk it miles and miles and miles to get it to us? And this letter is written with love and with urgency. Jude, you'll find out, is pretty fired up. He's pretty fired up about something when he's writing this letter, it's, and it's important. And here's something else to think about when you're reading letters like this in the New Testament. What do you do when you get a letter from somebody? Do you read a couple of sentences, put it down, and then two weeks later come back, pick it up, and read two more sentences in a different place? Do you take each phrase and kind of parse it out and try to find other ways to say it? Like, oh, this says happy birthday. Another way to say that is may the day of your birth be full of joy. Praise God. Is that what you do with it? No. Do you take a sentence or two out of it and divorce it from its context, forget the rest of the letter, and throw it up on a wall or put it on your bumper sticker or something like that? No. What do you do when you get a letter? You just read it. You just read the whole thing. Maybe next time you're at home studying the Bible and you're going to study a, a book of the Bible that's a letter, a New Testament letter, maybe, maybe you read it in its entirety. Maybe you read the whole thing in one sitting. And that'll probably help you get the content, context, the main passage, the main uh, idea out of this rather than pulling a passage out at a time. Just a thought. And, and maybe you're wondering, like, why is he telling us this? Well, it's because... Um, uh, even though I want you to get something uh, from my message, during my message every Sunday, what's more important to me is that you leave here, you go home, and this week you pick up your Bible, you study it, you understand it, and you're transformed by it. That is a win for us at Great Oaks. We, if, if all you're doing is coming to church on Sundays and listening, putting your Bible away, and not picking it up until Sunday morning again, I mean, I'm not talking about electronic Bibles, okay, whatever, but you're not reading the Bible again throughout the week, then, that, then we are failing at our job. What I want you to do is be, be readers of the Word, studiers of the Word, and so that's why we do. That's why I like to do verse-by-verse expository series because it gets you to, to understand a book of the Bible, go deep into a book of the Bible. And so when I throw out, you know, things like that, like read a letter all at once in the New Testament or something like that, that's because I care more about you feeding yourself than me feeding you. I mean, we're not toddlers, right? This isn't in my notes. I'm just going off script here. We're not toddlers. 
Like, don't you, I don't know if you guys hate this as much as I do. First service, um, I didn't get this part, all right? So this is special just for you. I don't know if you hate this as much as I do, but I hate when Christians say, well, I'm not going to my church anymore because I, I wasn't being fed. I'm always like, what are you, a toddler? What are you, like a baby? You need somebody to feed you? I'm just being serious with you this morning. You ready? Kind of. I'm kind of joking, but not. You pick up the Bible and feed yourself, right? Like not being fed is not a reason. To, you're supposed to feed yourself. We're not toddlers. We're adults. We feed ourselves. Somebody give me like an amen or something on that. So we're good. All right. We'll move on. So Jude has written you a letter. It's written in love and with some urgency. And he's got something important to say. Look at Jude. There's no chapters in Jude. So it's, when we say Jude 1, we're talking about verse 1. It says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Verse 2, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. All right, so a couple things here. Jude identifies himself in two ways so that people know who he is. Uh, he says he's a servant of Jesus Christ, and he's the brother of James. Now, there are a lot of Jameses is in the New Testament. So we're not sure. Sometimes you're like, what James is this? Well, most people say that this is uh, James the Just, which is a pretty cool name, right? Like if you're going to get a name, the Just is a pretty good one, all right? Or the Conqueror, you choose, all right? But James the Just, and so James the Just is um, brother to Jesus, half-brother to Jesus. Are you tracking with me? Uh, Jesus, you know, didn't have an earthly father, so half-brother to Jesus. And so uh, he's also uh, the, the leader of the Jerusalem church. Uh, he is Acts 15, the council of Jerusalem. He's the one presiding over that council. Uh, and so that's James. He also is probably the, the writer of the book of James. This is James the just. And so um, Jude is saying he's brother of James, which would make him the younger brother of Jesus. Somebody's following me, all right? He's the younger brother of Jesus, right? Because if you're brother to the brother, then you're also brother to the other brother, right? You're all brothers. Was that confusing? Okay. So James, he's, Jude is the brother to James, also the brother to Jesus. Um, so I don't know um, what you're thinking at this point, but I'm thinking that he's not such a small fry, is he? I mean, he's brother to James, the leader of the Jerusalem church. He's brother to Jesus, earthly brother to him, half-brother to him. I mean, this guy is not some hack or some small-time guy. And yet, he says, I'm not only the brother to James, I am the servant of Jesus Christ. Notice, he didn't say, Jude, the brother to James. Oh, and by the way, I'm brother to Jesus too, so I kind of know what I'm talking about. He didn't say, I'm the boss, I'm the leader, I'm part of the elect family, I'm part of the high royal family. He didn't say anything like that. He goes, I'm a servant Right off, right off the bat, he says, I am a servant. I want you to know this. I'm a servant of Jesus. He's happy about that. He wants everyone to know that. And listen, this points to a truth that I've seen played out many times. Those closest to Jesus are happy to be his servants. Those closest to Jesus are happy to be his servants. If you've got a guy who says he's mature in Christ, close to Christ, and yet he is unwilling to serve, 
He refuses to obey when it's hard, refuses to be a servant of Christ, then you've got a liar on your hand or someone who is greatly deceived. Because those closest to Jesus are happy to be his servants. His brother is happy to be known, not as leader or boss or the one in charge, but as servant. Make no mistake, beloved. Jesus is our king. He is our authority. Jesus is in charge. He's not just your friend or your buddy or a good-sounding teacher. He's king of kings, and he's lord of lords. Sometimes we find it difficult in our culture to, to submit to authority, right? We don't like the idea in America of a king. doesn't really sit with us well. We don't really like it. But Jesus is our king. Sometimes that culture can get in the way of submitting to and serving Jesus. We think it's cowardly to yield to an authority, but it's not. You should never feel bad about yielding to Jesus or the authority that he places in your life and even identifying yourself like Jude does at the beginning of this letter as one who is under authority. There is great peace in living by God's design. It's when we rail against it that we lack peace. Does that make sense? You with me this morning? Okay, three of you are with me. So Jude is riding the from to line here, right? From Jude, servant of Jesus and brother to James. Then he says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Called, beloved, kept. Now this is written to Jesus' followers, Right? Those who are in the faith, in the church. Notice it's, it doesn't say those who have chosen God. It doesn't say those who were raised Christian. It doesn't even say those who believe. Jude is making a statement here, and it's this, that God's people are God's people by God's choice. God's people are God's people by God's choice. God is the pursuer, the lover, the initiator. We are not his because we called, but because he called, right? We're not his because we called him. We're his because he called us. He chose us. We're not his because we love him, but because he first loved us. We remain his, not by our own willpower, but because the power of Jesus Christ keeps us called, beloved, kept. We're not talking about predestination and choice as much as we're talking about strength, power, ability. You and me in our, in our weak and sinful state, we've got no shot at reaching out to God on our own. We've got no shot at recognizing our great need for a savior. We have no shot at fixing things, at loving God enough, at staying in the faith. We're not strong enough, but he is. And this shouldn't bother you. It should give you peace. The one shepherding and overseeing your faith journey is not you. Isn't that good news? It's God. The one keeping you here is not you, it's God. That's why the, the, the message of Christianity is not I can. Now, I know you hear something different out there. I know that, that a lot of people, my brothers in arms, are preaching opposite of what I'm saying today, but they're saying you can do it. It's you can make yourself a better person, be the best version of you, love yourself. You can do it. 
I know that you're hearing that out there, but I promise you, the motto of Christianity, the message of Christianity is not I can, it's I can't, he can. You see the difference? It's not me-centered, it's Christ-centered. And if you just give this a second and think about it, if you just take a beat and think about this, you'd agree broken things can't fix themselves, can they? Imperfect can't become perfect on its own. So Jude, right out of the gate, is pointing to Christ as our author, the author, the sustainer, the one who calls, loves, keeps you. And in this way, he puts us on good footing, gives us a sure foundation because he's about to say, fight for faith. But if you don't realize the source, if you don't get where the power for victory comes from, if it's all about I can and not about he can, then you're not going to be able to fight. You're not going to be able to persevere. And Jude desperately wants you to fight. He desperately wants you to persevere. Look at the next verse. Verse 3. Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude says, I I wanted to write to you about our common salvation. I wanted to write to you about all that God has done for us in Christ. I wanted to write to you about the joy we have in the Holy Spirit, about the love of God in Christ Jesus. I wanted to write to you about fun things, good things, the gospel, the good news. But instead, it's necessary that I write to you today about fighting, that I write to you to say, stand up and fight for the faith. This is that dinner where you're sitting at dinner and everything is going just fine for a while and you think it's gonna be a great day and a great evening of conversation and you're sitting there talking and everything is going good but then someone across the table says something, something about your mama, right? Something about your wife, something about a kid, something about something you care about. They say something and, and then everything changes. You were in a good mood, you were smiling, your face just kind of drops. And you go, what'd you say? You ever been there before? What'd you just say? And just a, a millisecond before that, it was clanking of, of silverware and plates and all these conversations going at once. But then when you said, what'd you say again? Everybody just kind of shh. And they're all watching you. And the guy says it again. And so what do you do? You stand up. All of a sudden, you stand up and you go, this is serious. Say again, (laughs) right? I'm going to give you one more chance. Say it again. You stand up. You push your chair back from the table. And now a scene is being made because you're saying, there's something I want to stand up for. There's something that's serious here. There's somebody's honor that I need to defend. You take a different posture. You're about to fight for something that's important to you. You're going to defend somebody. Not only that, this is not just worth defending. This is worth getting other people to defend, other people to fight for it. Think about that time. Maybe what you were defending, what you were getting offended about, what you were getting up in arms about, what you stood up for. Maybe it was something like something you believed in, some ideology. Maybe it was personal. Somebody did talk about your mama. Maybe you were fighting against racism. 
Maybe you were fighting for something serious in your company that you work for. But whatever it was, it got you fired up. And even just thinking about it right now raises your blood pressure a little bit, doesn't it? You're like, oh my gosh, I got to go hit that guy again. Right? Yeah. That's where Jude is at. He's been fired up. It's serious. He's enlisting help for the fight. He's calling on soldiers to stand up and fight. This is Jude pushing his chair back from the table and standing up all of a sudden and saying, we need to fight. And this word, contend, that's what it means to fight. The New Testament was, it was originally written in Greek, right? And as I was studying for this, I read in a commentary that the word in Greek here is where we get the word agony today. Everybody say agony. agony. Say it like you're in agony. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is an athlete trying so hard to win that, and, and he or she is in agony, right? This is struggling towards something important. This is you at the gym running on the treadmill, watching the last two minutes click down going, I think I'm going to die. But then you're going, I can do it, right? I can do it. Lungs burning, legs cramping, heart racing. And this word carries the idea of doing all that for something that's noble, right, something that's worthy of that struggle. Contend, struggle, compete, fight for faith. But he doesn't leave it there, Jude. He, he says, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, saints here is not a special class of super Christians, right? It's not that. It's anybody who has submitted their lives to Christ. And so if you've given your life over to Christ, then you are a saint. And Jesus, and Jude here is calling on you. He's talking to you. It was delivered to you. But Jude is not just asking you to fight for just anything. Two things that, that we're fighting for, contending for, struggling for, that he is talking about. He, ta- he calls it the faith. Contend for the faith. Now, what is the faith? I think he's talking about the fullness of faith. In other words, all of it, right? All of it. All of the faith, not just the beginning, not just the easy stuff, not just the the stuff that everybody gets excited about, but the whole of it, all of it, the fullness of faith. Contend for that, fight for that, the faith. Jude here is drawing a line between the faith and other faith or partial faith. A lot of people on the street can talk about the the basics of of the Christian faith, right? They can talk about God's creation. They can talk about our fall, our sinful fall as, as humankind. They can talk about Jesus being sent. They can talk about Christmas. They can talk about w- w- some things that Jesus said, some more popular teachings of Jesus. They can talk about Easter and how he went to the cross. A lot of people on the street can talk about the basics of the Christian faith. Others, maybe most of you, can talk about even deeper things. You can talk about other things. You can talk about the faith to see God move. You can talk about Jesus' less known teachings, not just John 3.16, but John 3.17. You can talk about that. You can talk about repentance. You may even be able to talk about sanctification and what that means. 
Maybe you know the, the idea of the authority and, and power of the scriptures and how we're supposed to live our lives by it. A lot of us can talk about those things. But my fear is that few of us can talk about the faith or speak of the faith in its fullness like Jude is talking about here. Like, like when we talk to people about God, about faith, do we talk about faith's requirements? Do we talk about how difficult faith is? Do we talk about how Jesus said we would all and should all suffer for him in our lives? Because the apostles did. They talked about that stuff. The apostle Paul talked about the obedience of faith in Romans 1. Obedience is not easy, right? It's difficult. He told Titus that he labored for the sake of the faith of God's elect. James said that faith is more than just belief. He said faith without works is what? Dead, right? Everybody say dead. Faith without works is dead. It's difficult. The apostle Peter wrote about the tested genuineness of your faith. You will be tested and it will be found out whether your faith is genuine or just lip service. The Apostle John wrote over and over and over about how if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. And if you say you love God and you see someone who's in need and you're apathetic towards them and you don't care about them, the Apostle John says, you're a liar. You're a liar. This is the faith that Jude is talking about. The faith includes acceptance of difficult truth. Living life attuned to the presence of God. Commitment to a godly life and complete obedience to Jesus Christ no matter the cost. Let me say it again. The faith includes acceptance of difficult truth. Living life attuned to the presence of God. Commitment to a godly life and complete obedience to Jesus Christ no matter the cost. The faith is not easy. It doesn't just happen. Listen, beloved, you don't just stumble into the faith. You don't just accidentally end up in the faith. It takes purpose and intentionality. It takes constantly looking at yourself and, and your life and asking yourself, if, if I've got my stuff in order, if I've got my priorities in order. You see, a lot of times what we're preaching and living is some other faith, some incomplete faith, some partial faith. The Jesus we serve is not the Jesus of the Bible. The God we talk about is not the God of the scriptures. Contend, fight for the faith. He's talking about the fullness of faith. All of it, that's one. But he also says, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so it's not just about the fullness of faith, but also the finality of faith. The faith is already final. All truth has been found out, right? There is no new discovery that will change the faith. Are you tracking with me? There's no new thing that's going to come. It already exists in its final form. It is not changing. You can't change it. It is not evolving. It's already final. And listen, beloved, this is good news. This is good news. 
The faith you're depending on, believing in, the truth that you've staked your life on, your eternal life on, it's not up in the air. Isn't that good news? It's not shaky. Its foundation is sure. It's not, well, what are we going to find out in a couple years? This is going to kind of change what we believe. No, it's already final. It's the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. No changes or revisions on the way. Let, let me help you just apply this right here in this context. You have all the truth about the faith in all its fullness and finality in your Bible. Right here in your Bible. And yet our tendency is to go other places for answers. To go other places for truth. We go to other people. We go to other books. We go to the internet when we want answers. When it's all right here in your Bible. We complain that God doesn't speak to us when it's all right here. I saw a quote from a pastor named Matt Chandler the other day that stuck with me. He said this. He said, we want new revelation, which is why, despite the fact that none of us has mastered the scriptures, we say things like, God hasn't been talking to me lately. What we mean is that God isn't giving me the direct hotline of insider info specifically tailored to me. Our lamenting of God's silence while our Bible goes undisturbed, is actually quite revealing. Because we want new revelation, while at the same time, we refuse to be obedient to what we already know. We demand to be taught something new. But it makes no sense to graduate on to an advanced class when we've never cleared the basics. Yeah. Listen, you can find and experience the fullness and finality of faith, all that God has for you by reading and living the Bible, right? I thought I'd get like an amen there or something excited. You guys, you guys ready? I'm gonna try again. You ready? Okay. You can find and experience the fullness and finality of faith, all that God has for you by living and reading the Bible. Okay, so yeah, thank you, thank you. And Jude, Jude here, he's no small fry. He's saying, on your feet, get ready, fight, contend, agonize, struggle. Give it everything you have. The faith in all its fullness and finality is worthy of your effort. Jude is saying, fight for faith. And then he's going to tell us, why he's so fired up, what it is that caused him to push his chair back and stand up all of a sudden. And, and next week, we'll, we'll see Jude talk more in depth about why we should fight for our faith. And then three weeks, the three weeks after that, we'll be talking about how do we fight for faith. But look at verse four. He says this, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So certain people are being creepers, right? They're creeping in, into the church unnoticed, and they're causing problems. And it says that they were long ago destined for condemnation. We'll talk about that next week. But it says they're doing two things, perverting the grace of God into sensuality and denying 
our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So th- this is what's caused Jude to not write about all the fun stuff that he wanted to write about and instead to write a letter saying, fight, stand up for faith, fight for the faith. And here's what I want you to hear. These two things that he mentions, they're happening today, right? These certain people are doing the same stuff today inside the church. They're doing the same thing they were then. The need to stand up for faith is just as strong. What he's saying is that when he says they're perverting the grace of God is that people are stripping the faith of all of its commands and expectations to live a godly life. They've taken Christian liberty and changed it into sinful license. They've said, well, we're not just free in Christ, but they've said we can do anything we want. Grace covers it all. You want to shack up with your girlfriend or boyfriend before marriage? No problem. Do it. You want to cheat on your wife because you fell out of love with her? Go ahead. It's not your fault. Homosexuality, no problem. Money, go get it. Materialism, no issue. Get anything you want. Greed is fine. Why? Because grace covers it all. Jesus loves you so much, he wants you to have the desires of your heart. Whatever you want, it's fine. Jesus' love will cover it. Jesus will forgive you. It doesn't matter. What matters is that God loves you. Isn't this our world? And not just out there, but in here, in the church. This is written to insiders. It said that these people have crept into the church unnoticed. This is us. And it points to this tendency in every single one of us if we were left alone to our own devices without the Holy Spirit for a single second, all of us would risk eternity in heaven for just a moment of earthly satisfaction. Without the power of Christ at work in you, all of us would immediately choose satisfaction, earthly satisfaction. This verse belongs to the church. Our tendency is to presume upon the grace of God to turn Christian freedom into sinful license. Jude is saying that to be a Christian, it means to be saved from sinfulness and to sanctification. He's saying that it means there are things in life that God says no to. It's grace and it's truth. Both matter, right? A person who's given their life over to Christ completely and accepted not not partial faith or incomplete faith, but the faith in its fullness and finality is a person who is constantly and continually being convicted by the sin in their lives and striving to be more like Jesus in thought, word, and deed. That's what Jude is saying. So they've perverted the grace of God. But not only that, these people have denied the only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So they're creeping in, perverting grace, and they're telling people, man, we don't even have to live under the authority of Jesus. We don't even have to live there anymore. So they're telling people they don't need to follow Jesus' commands. And again, this is our world today. Not just out there, but, but in here. This is us. We seem to be very quick to, to, to shirk the authority of Jesus Christ, to, 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 to say that we don't have to live under his authority. 
We tend to rationalize our way around sin when we're faced with it. When somebody calls us out, we rationalize our way around it. We say things like, well, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but, but God knows my heart. I know the Bible says this is wrong, but it just feels so right. How could God love me and not want me to have this desire, fulfill this desire? I just don't feel like this is a bad thing. What we're saying is that it matters not what Jesus says. We're denying his ultimate authority in our lives. But true Christians like Jude did in verse 1 willingly and joyfully identify themselves as under authority. We follow Jesus. That's it. We follow Jesus. No other sources or influences, just Jesus. We don't pick and choose. We strive to do what Jesus says every time. He is our only Lord and Master, right? Listen, there are forces coming against us from within us. False teachers, bad theology, me-centered Christianity, a form of godliness that denies its power, a rejection of difficult truth for whatever's easier to hear, the perversion of grace in the name of freedom. It was happening then when Jude sat down to write this letter, and it's happening now. Fight. You have to fight. Now is the time to stand up and fight for the faith. There is nothing more worthy of your effort, sacrifice, energy, agony. This is the time to push your chair back from the table and stand up and fight. Someone is coming against not your mama, not your kid, but your God, the faith, the the one who saved you and loves you with an everlasting love. Listen, beloved, I need you. We need you. Your kids need you. Those who haven't given their lives to Christ yet need you to fight for the faith. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you that all of your word is your word. And that oftentimes, rather than us reading it, it reads us. We know that it's not just we approach your word, not like we approach a newspaper or a book that we want to read. We know that it's different. We know that there's a supernatural thing going on, that your Holy Spirit is working in us as we read it and study it. We know that your word is like a double-edged sword. It goes deep into our hearts. It pierces deeper than anything else can pierce. Lord, we're thankful for that. We thank you, God, today for your word and what it speaks to us. Even the short books of the New Testament, even the small fries, have so much in them that you want to say to us. We thank you, God. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, as you're thinking about just what does God want me to get out of this message today? Not what does he want me to tell my friend or, man, I wish my mom was here or whatever, but what, what does God want you to understand from this as you're asking that? Maybe you're a Christian, but you know you haven't fought for the faith like you should. You don't feel the urgency of Jude's call to action here. You kind of just live your life and don't really worry about anything else. But you want to change that. You're going, I want to fight for the faith. I want to stand up and fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. 
but you're saying, I need help. I need the Holy Spirit's power in my life. I need help following through. I, I can't do it alone. I want help. I need Jesus' help. If that's you today, I, I just want to pray for you. You're raising your hand in a moment. You can raise your hand now. And I just want to pray for you. And you're saying, I want to fight for the faith. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to fight for the faith, but I want God's help. I see hands going up. Anyone else? I really hope that everybody would say, I, I could do better at this. I want to fight for the faith, and I want God's help. Keep your hands up, Lord, in Jesus' name. Those who have raised their hands to signify that they want to fight for your faith that you've delivered to us, that is worthy of our effort and our agony and our energy and our time. Lord, I pray that you would just, your Holy Spirit would give them courage to do that, that you would give them the words they need to say. Give them discernment about how to say them and when to say them. Lord, give us conviction. Convict us of where in our lives we are obviously not standing for your faith, not standing for you, where we've become like the world. Give us power, oh God, to go from this place and stand up for your faith, for the faith that you've delivered to us. In Jesus' name. As you keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed, Maybe you're in here, and when I was talking about the fullness and the finality of faith, you knew that wasn't you. You're like, well, I, I've kind of been dabbling in this Christianity thing. I kind of do a Sunday thing and then a weekday thing, and it's, it's just different. I, I just don't really, haven't really committed my life to Jesus yet. I haven't really followed him fully. Well, I want to help you take your next step towards God. Your next step is to jump in to give your life over to Christ fully and completely, to accept the faith that was delivered to the saints in the word of God, to accept it as it is with questions and whatever else, to accept it and to follow Christ in a daily way, every day, and then to step up and, and to fight for that faith. If that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus today, you don't, need a, a, you don't need a priest, you don't need holy water, you just need to pray to God to say, God, I want to give my life to you today. I want to submit to you. Help me do that. You can't do it on your own. Help, ask God to help you do that. If that's you, I want to pray for you. There's no magic incantation. There's no magic prayer. It's just your heart getting right before God. But I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you just, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, just lift your hand up so I can see you and I can pray for you. Yeah, I see that hand. Anyone else? Yeah, I see those hands in the back. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray for those who have their hand raised that they would say, I want to give my life over to Jesus for real. Not just play a little bit here and there at church, but actually live for him. The fullness, the finality of faith, I want that. Lord, I pray that this decision would change their lives, that you would transform their lives through what happened today, God. That they would look back on this day years from now and say, that's the day when things changed for me. That's the day when I gave my life over to Christ. That's the day when I became a new creation. Lord, I pray that you would protect the seed that has been planted. That it wouldn't just be an emotional decision on an emotional day, but it would be something that carries into this afternoon and tomorrow and next week and next year and that it would remain. Keep it, Lord. You're the only one who can do that. You call us, you love us, you keep us. Keep us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? We've got a couple of prayer people on the sides, our prayer team. We would love to pray for you during this last song. If you 
need prayer, want prayer, um, we would love to pray for you. If you just gave your life to Christ, you raised your hand and said, I want to be real and give my life to Christ, then you can wait till people leave or you can go during this song, but I definitely want you to go get prayer and tell a prayer worker that you did that so that we can pray for you. Here's my prayer for you. May you realize the urgency of this. May your heart and mind be emboldened to stand up. And may you give everything to fight for the faith that was once and for all delivered to you. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. I hope you'll be here next week for our next uh, message in the Small Fry series. God bless.